0: You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Last night, Sacramento Kings' loss to the San Antonio Spurs was the most unsurprising loss of the season. And I don't say that with any snark, any frustration, any anger. It just was completely unsurprising. Taking on a team, trying to beat them two times in three days, especially when they're coached by a legend like Greg Popovich, that's a difficult feat. I was not surprised at all by the adjustments the Spurs made, and I was equally not surprised that the Kings struggled with those adjustments. We'll talk about that game. Plus, two times already this season, the Kings have gone from great stretches to absolute garbage after losses like what happened last night. Will it be different this time? This is the true test for the Kings. We'll talk about that. And with today being opening day of the MLB season, which Sacramento Kings players would be halfway decent baseball players? Let's have some fun on today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast. Hello and welcome to Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all off season. If you're looking for in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of the Sacramento Kings from January through December, this is the place for you, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. And today's Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked on Rooms. Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I've been a Sacramento Sports Radio host for the last six years. This is season number seven for me covering the Kings, both as an on-air host and multimedia journalist. And I know I'm not alone in being unsurprised by last night's loss. And it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to see things that we expected the Kings to be better at or to fix. But it really isn't rocket science how the Spurs were able to adjust to defeat the Sacramento Kings. They did two things. One, they upped their aggression and physicality. Those two words are the words that Greg Popovich used after the game. He made it crystal clear. He knew, everybody knows, scouting report for the Sacramento Kings this season, they have struggled with teams who are physical. The Spurs stepped up their physicality. It clearly had an effect on the Kings in this game. That's number one. Number two is the Spurs did a great job taking two of the Kings' best scorers out of the game in that first half. De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald got off to horrendous starts. Took too long to pick up the load, even though they had significantly better second halves, the Spurs took advantage. Now, this game was there for the Kings to make their way back into a couple of times, but when you fall in a hole on the road against a team like San Antonio, even if they're not as good as the glory years of that franchise under Popovich just a few years ago, that is a dark, deep, uncomfortable hole to try and climb out of, and Sacramento was reminded of that last night. I don't need to spend too much time talking about how great of a coach Greg Popovich is. You and I both know how amazing Greg Popovich is. But one thing that Popovich does so well, which is what made the Spurs so incredibly difficult to face in the playoffs, is he makes amazing adjustments game by game without overall changing the identity of the team. What made the Spurs so good back in the day is you knew how they were going to beat you. You knew the foundation of who they were. But what put them over the edge were those minor little adjustments that they would make. Greg Popovich, his coaching staff, the players themselves on the sidelines, paying attention, going back, watching film, working in practice, and coming back the very next game in a playoff series and doing the things that they didn't do the game before that make all the difference. Kings got a little taste of what a playoff series against the Spurs would be like, having success in game one in San Antonio and kind of getting punched in the mouth in game two. All three of the starting guards for Sacramento, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Buddy Heald, they struggled shooting. They shot a combined 19 of 51, which is 37%, not too bad, but you go back and look at the month of March as a whole for De'Aaron Fox, and the reason why the Kings had so much success during that winning streak in the month of March was because Fox was putting the team on his back. He was shooting around 60% from the field. Now, it's impossible to expect Fox to sustain that, but that's why I point to the 37%, which overall isn't a horrible field goal percentage, but when three of your best scores are shooting a combined 37%, that's going to drag you down. 20 points, 4 assists for De'Aaron Fox, 18 points, 2 assists for Tyrese Halliburton. Those low assist numbers should jump out at you, and Buddy Heald finished with 14 points. The Kings as a whole had 22 assists to 12 turnovers, which isn't horrible. It's still a plus 10 advantage, an assist-to-turnover ratio. It's not like the Kings were killed turning the ball over but those numbers significantly down from the phenomenal assist-to-turnover ratio that they had in Game 1 against San Antonio. And Dave Deuce Mason pointed out a really good stat. Deuce, host of the Deuce & Mo podcast, friend here of the Locked On Kings podcast, also executive radio producer of the Sacramento Kings, he pointed out how many opportunities the Kings had in the second half to take advantage of the San Antonio Spurs being really sloppy with the basketball. I have the stat right here. The Spurs had eight Second-half turnovers, and it only turned into three points for the Kings. Missed opportunities right there for Sacramento to take advantage and really close the gap in that second half. This game was really a tale of two halves. The second half was relatively even, slight edge to the Sacramento Kings. The first half, all San Antonio. They weren't missing shots, and the Kings' backcourt weren't making any. But credit to San Antonio, the Spurs took Fox and Heald out of the game, never really allowed them to get comfortable right out of the gate and that led to a very slow start for Sacramento. It was another strong game for Rashawn Holmes, but what else is new? 14 points, 15 rebounds, two blocks. He was really the only king crashing the boards hard in this game. DeLon Wright had a fantastic game, his best game already as a King. He looked great off the bench, 16 points, three assists, a couple of steals in 22 minutes. And I saw a conversation on King's Twitter last night after the game that I absolutely agree with. You know I'm a fan of Corey Joseph. You know that I was not nearly as critical of Corey Joseph as many were here in Sacramento. But I will say the difference in Corey Joseph and DeLon Wright is most apparent when you look at the system that the Kings play. When DeLon Wright comes into the game and takes over as that that bench primary ball handler, it looks like the Kings are playing the same way, meaning DeLon Wright can play to the speed of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton as a facilitator. Corey Joseph was more of a half-court, slow-it-down style type of guy, so you could see significant differences in playing style when Fox would come out of the game and Corey Joseph would come in. Remember back to last season, when Fox went down with injury, Corey Joseph started in the place of De'Aaron Fox played quite well, in my opinion, but the Kings completely changed from a fast paced team to a half court offensive team. That was Corey Joseph's style as a facilitator with the Wright, right? It's pretty universal with the Kings from start to finish right fits more of that fast paced offensive identity that the Kings are trying to embrace. After being red hot from three-point range in game one against San Antonio, Sacramento dipped back into a low three-point shooting percentage. Not as bad as in their win over Cleveland, but 31% from three-point range is never going to lead to success. They're lucky they didn't lose by more with that low shooting percentage. But this was what's most surprising to me, is the Spurs had less points in the paint in this game than they did in the loss, 50-44. to 44. If you were to tell me, hey, Matt, the Kings are going to lose this game against the San Antonio Spurs, what's the main reason you think why I would have told you the Spurs are going to adjust, they're going to be more physical, and they're going to score more in the paint. That wasn't the case in this game. The Spurs had success from three-point range, and they didn't do as much scoring around the rim as I expected. Overall, not a surprising loss for the Sacramento Kings. I was a little disappointed that we saw the Kings look more like how they did versus Cleveland than how they did in Game 1 versus San Antonio, and we talked about that on yesterday's preview of this game. But this is one of those losses that I can live with, that I can accept. But I will tell you I am frightened by this loss because I don't know if it's going to kickstart another downward spiral this season that we know far too well. Quick standings update for you. The Kings are now a game and a half back of 10th and 9th. Both the Grizzlies and the Warriors are tied there. Kings are three and a half games back of eighth, which happens to be held by the San Antonio Spurs, and four games back of seventh, held by the Dallas Mavericks. I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast that I think you're really going to love called Death at the Wing. It's a sports documentary podcast hosted by Adam McKay, writer and director of the big short Vice and Anchorman. 1980s basketball saw players like Magic Johnson and Dr. J becoming household names, bringing a faster and flashier style of play that captivated TV audiences. But along that way to wealth and stardom, the excess of the 80s took its toll on the next generation of basketball. And never in the history of any sport have we seen so many who were ready to become stars face tragic deaths in such a short time frame. McKay is joined by sports journalists and experts who lived through these moments in history to explore this overlooked phenomenon and the web of social, political, and cultural forces at play. This podcast is absolutely fascinating, especially for someone like me who wasn't around during this time. I tell you, I already had an appreciation for the legends and this time frame of basketball, but this podcast already has completely changed how I think about 1980s NBA. If you love The Last Dance or 30 for 30, I think you're going to love Death at the Wing. Search for Death at the Wing wherever you get your podcasts to start listening today and let me know what you think about it. I want to hear your thoughts on it because it blew me away. I want to discuss it with people. If you listen to this podcast, reach out to me at Matt George Radio on Twitter or email me mgeorge at sacklocalmedia.com. It was only months ago, even though it feels like years, the Sacramento Kings opened the season 3 and 1. That was followed by them losing 9 of 11. Then, the Kings won 7 out of 8, followed by 9 straight losses. Now, they just enjoyed a 5-game winning streak before last night's loss to the San Antonio Spurs. How will the Kings respond after that streak came to an end? Are we going to see the continuation of the pattern this season? the continuation of the inconsistency that has plagued this franchise for years. Inconsistency that has never been more apparent than in the swings of this current season. We know this team has the talent to be successful. We know this team is capable of making this play-in push. And Monty McNair and the Kings, through their actions at the trade deadline, through their words, have said the play-in tournament winning basketball is what's most important. Now it's really time to back that up. Because it's easy to talk about the playoffs. It's easy to play well and get up for games when you're enjoying a winning streak. But when things start to get bad, how quickly can you correct those mistakes? How quickly can you pull yourself out of those holes you put yourself in? And it's going to be all hands on deck here. This is not up to one or two people. This is not all on head coach Luke Walden to make sure the team is prepared to not fall into the same pitfalls. This is not all on De'Aaron Fox to put the team on his back to carry them through. This is on everybody to recognize this spot that the Kings are in today, heading into tomorrow's meeting with the Los Angeles Lakers, regardless of the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are not playing right now. This spot, is where the Kings have failed twice already this season. This spot is where this team has completely fallen apart. And I tell you, if they fall apart now, if they go through another slide like they've gone on already twice this season, their chances at the play-in tournament slide with it. I am confident in saying, if the Kings fall into another tumble down the standings, another stretch of not only losing, but looking like they're incapable of winning ever again, if that happens... You can kiss any thought of the playoffs and play-in tournament goodbye. I'm really not being dramatic. This is a crossroads for this Sacramento Kings team. and To me, this is going to show the basketball maturity of this team. This is not a young team, even though they have a young core. There are a lot of savvy veterans on this team who know how to win, who quite frankly haven't stepped up in these positions so far this season. This is where this team is really going to show, are they all talk? Do they want the smoke, like Buddy Heald famously said before the Orlando bubble last season, or are they just pretenders? It's really put up or shut up time for the Kings right here. This moment, heading into the Lakers game, I think is going to be the deciding factor of if this team is really ready to make that next step, or if they're not as far along as we think they are. And it all begins with how they approach this game against the Lakers. The next three games for the Sacramento Kings, Lakers, Bucks, Timberwolves. If you want to already give the Kings a loss in the Bucks game, that's fine. But the difference between two and one and one and two in this stretch is ginormous. There's only so much season left. Still a lot of time to play. But simply put, two and one stretches in three game sets for the rest of the season, those get you in. One and two stretches mean you're sitting on the couch watching come play in and play off time again. Find two wins here. And the two are obvious to me. It's the Lakers and, of course, the T-Wolves. And to be honest with you, the Kings should be equally concerned with both. There's no guarantee that just because the T-Wolves are bottom in the Western Conference, they're winning games right now because Karl-Anthony Towns is back. I'd argue that there is enough talent on that T-Wolves roster to truly match up well against Sacramento. The Kings should still be favored in that game, but that doesn't matter. You know that doesn't matter as a Kings fan. As for the Lakers, it doesn't matter that LeBron and AD aren't playing. The game would be a hell of a lot more difficult if they were playing for sure, but there are some hungry players on that Lakers team with championship expectations and aspirations. I think all three of these games are going to be difficult, but the biggest battle that the Kings are going to fight during this stretch to me is all mental. Have they learned from their mistakes? Do they really believe that this team is capable of making the postseason and ending this playoff drought? Because the time for talk is over. The time for action is now. And these players have been recognizing that, asking for that, expecting that, and here it is. So what do the Kings need to bring to Friday's game against the Lakers? Number one, physicality and a sense of urgency. I want the Kings to step on the floor against the Lakers tomorrow night Like it is the last game of the season. And if they win, they're in the playoffs. If they lose, they're out. That's how I want them to approach this game. I want to see the sense of urgency in the way De'Aaron Fox plays. I don't need him to score 40 plus points, but I need De'Aaron to play with the same aggressiveness that we've seen him play in a couple of stretches this season. The De'Aaron Fox that is aware that this team is only going to go as far as he takes them. And the De'Aaron Fox that is aware that when he is on, nobody can stop him. I need to see the Tyrese Halliburton that can score, that can distribute, that can play defense, and more importantly, that can fit with De'Aaron. I need to see the buddy healed that is shooting without fear from beyond the arc and hitting at an acceptable clip of 37-plus percent. I need double-double Rashawn Holmes. I need present Harrison Barnes. And then I need the rest of that Kings bench to either maintain or Pick up the slack, even in limited minutes. It's all hands on deck. As for Luke Walton and his coaching staff, I expect him to approach practice, shoot-arounds, film sessions with the same kind of intensity that I'm approaching this podcast. Actually, screw that. Take my intensity, multiply it by 10, add their basketball knowledge and background, and that's how they should approach this game. There is no excuse for a slow start. There is no excuse for this team to look unprepared. There is no excuse for them to be caught like deers in the headlights if things start to go south because they've been here before, twice, not in the last few seasons, but in the last few months. Welcome to the crossroads of your season, Kings. Which team are you? Prove it. I cannot wait to see what the betting line is going to be for tomorrow's game. It's potentially going to be a fantastic night to make some money. And you can do so on Bet Online, the official sports gambling partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action with the NBA, college basketball, March Madness, NHL, now MLB in full swing. BetOnline Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV too. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline, as you covered for all the news, the scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on. That's BETOnline, your online sportsbook experts. If you haven't picked up on it, I am a little bitter today. I'm bitter. Because Mint Brownie was completely upset in the Flavorful 4 matchups. I thought for sure Mint Brownie was going to advance to the championship of the built bar bracket. But no, all my Mint Brownie lovers out there, you failed. You didn't join me in voting for what's clearly the best built bar. You allowed the horrible people who like coconut brownie chunk more to steal one. And now the championship comes down to Coconut Brownie Chunk versus Cookie Dough Chunk. I'm voting for Cookie Dough, and that's that. There's no way I could rally behind Coconut Brownie Chunk. I've been telling you about Bilt Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is amazing. The low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, delicious-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all the bars. And mint brownie is the best one, dang it. And it lost. So now we'll find out. Which bar is truly the best? And I use truly in air quotes. Put an asterisk next to this one. Who will win Built Bar Madness? You can vote on Twitter by tweeting your vote to at bar underscore bill or you can go to builtbar.com. And while you're there, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar, asterisk. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get yourself a mint brownie bar, and then get yourself a coconut brownie chunk bar. Eat both and tell me that mint brownie is not superior. I'm going to recover from my Built Bar frustrations here to Tell you that tomorrow's Locked on Kings podcast is going to be a mailbag edition of Locked on Kings. I know so many of you have questions about the remainder of this season, about what to do with Marvin Bagley, about the trade deadline as a whole. Now is the time to send your questions to me. You can tweet them to me, at Matt George Radio on Twitter, or you can email them to me, mgeorge, saclocalmedia, that's S-A-C, localmedia.com. Send me your questions, even send me your comments too. Maybe you can answer your own question. I will include that. When asking the question, I will select a handful of them and answer them on tomorrow's mailbag edition of Locked on Kings. And I'll even kick things off with asking my own question, which was, which Sacramento Kings players do I think, in honor of MLB opening day today, would be great baseball players? I have De'Aaron Fox as a clear center fielder, racing down deep fly balls in the outfield, putting him at the top of the order, getting him on base, and good luck to any catcher, trying to catch him, stealing second or even stealing third. With Fox's speed, we'd have the next Ricky Henderson. I think Robert Woodard would be an incredible designated hitter. With his strength, I mean, he beat the entire team in the bench press as a rookie. Give Robert Woodard a bat. Let him swing for the fences and see how far the ball goes. I'm thinking 450 every time. Tyrese Halliburton I was having struggles with because I think he could be a really, really good pitcher with his ability to distribute, also how well he thinks about the game, but I also think he could be a great shortstop. It's one of the two for me. Rashawn Holmes with his size, his athleticism, I think would be a fantastic first baseman. Harrison Barnes with how smart he is. His leadership ability I think would be a phenomenal manager. And then Hassan Whiteside would make an excellent foul ball pull in left or right field. That was my list. You tell me. Which Sacramento Kings players you think would make excellent baseball players? And if you're a baseball fan, make sure you check out the Locked On Podcast Network's coverage of the MLB. I'm a diehard A's fan, so I listen to Locked On A's all the time. I know we have a lot of Giants fans here in Sacramento, unfortunately, so you can go over to Locked On Giants if you want. Check out the Locked On Podcast Network's coverage of MLB baseball this entire season. And again, send me your mailbag questions for tomorrow's Locked On Kings podcast. I'll try and get all or as many of them as I can on. I can't wait to read your questions and answer them tomorrow. Please join me for that. If you also could leave a review for the Locked On Kings podcast, if you haven't already, best place to do that is on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Hit five stars. Leave a little blurb about why you would encourage other fans to listen to this podcast. It's also a great place for constructive criticism. You have any comments, improvements that you'd like to see made on the show. I know we're not perfect. I read those. I'm always trying to improve. Let me know there. And, of course, join me for tomorrow's Locked On Kings podcast. Until then, as always, please stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you soon. My name is Matt George. You have been listening to Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.